give God a hand clap of praise on today. There's always something about total praise because there are times we really aren't completely focused on God. But there's something about the lyrics of that song that whenever I hear it, I can focus my mind, my, my thoughts, everything towards giving honor and praise to God for no other reason other than he is who he says that he is. Amen. Uh, I bid you greetings on today. Um, I am not Chris Williamson. Uh, for those of us that are visiting uh, with us today, I am not, and I repeat, I am not Chris, Pastor Chris Williamson. Um, but he texted me today, and he wanted to let you know that he is doing well and that he is recovering well. And from listening to his wife, Darina, he's doing really well. Um, uh, to uh, Pastor Chris and to the elders of this church, um, I take this um, opportunity very seriously. Um, anytime a person stands up to proclaim the word of God, the Bible says, be ye not many masters, for greater is the condemnation. And so I pray um, and ask that what will be said this morning will give glory and honor to God and bless the body of Strong Tower. Amen. Amen. Now, I just, I have to be honest with you. I am not the traditional Strong Tower speaker. Uh, the first giveaway, I'm not using the ear mic. I'm using the hand mic. Uh, the second giveaway might be you can hear a little bit of a tune in my voice. To quote Popeye, I am what I am, what I am, that I am. And so I, I asked this morning that I know the preaching style that I may deliver may be a little different than what we're normally used to. But one of the things I love about our church is that we have a mixture of different phases of not only worship, but even in preaching and in teaching. So if you don't mind, I just want to solicit your amens. I solicit your wows. And I solicit your preach brothers. Is that all right? And I believe on today that once we are done, I'm going to feel good, you're going to feel good, and God is going to get the glory. Amen? 
Uh, before I go further, my, uh, I have uh, family members that are here uh, supporting me. Uh, my father and my mother are here, and my brother and my new sister-in-law are here. And so uh, they just wanted to take this opportunity um, to share with us. Well, I know what you came to do. You came to worship God and you came to hear a word from God. So let's get into the word. So I believe on the screen, if you see, there is Jonah starting with chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to be looking very quickly at verses 1 through 5. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And again, I'm old school, so this is the King James Version. <laughs> is that all right? It's the King James Version. And you'll find these words recorded. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then saith the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? And in verse 5 it says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. I will repeat verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow. I want to talk to you today about the booth watchers. I know most of the time when you hear about Jonah it's him on a ship and you know getting tossed in the sea but but really, the meat of Jonah is not in chapter 1. It's really in chapter 4. And so I want to talk to you today about the booth watchers. Now, most of us are familiar with the story of Jonah. Um, in chapter 1, God commands Jonah to preach to Nineveh. And like most God-fearing people, he did the exact opposite and tried to run from God. Got in a boat. And God was saying, no, you can't run from me, Jojo. And so he calls a storm to come um, around the sea and the ship that he was in. And the sailors were afraid that was sailing with Jonah. And Jonah said, look, I, I know why this is happening. Throw me overboard and you will be safe. And so they throw Jonah overboard and he goes from being in ship trouble to being in fish trouble because God sends a big fish to swallow Jonah and then in chapter 2 we see that Jonah in the belly of the fish prays to God for three days 
and three nights. And God has mercy on Jonah and causes the fish to vomit Jonah up, at least on dry land, and tells him the same thing in chapter 3 that he told him in chapter 1. Go to Nineveh and preach my word. And so this time Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches there that in 40 days this city is going to be destroyed. And look what happened. It, it says that the king and his nobles and the people accepted the word that Jonah gave. And they got really serious about their repentance. They, they, they fasted and they wore sackcloth and they even made their animals to fast and wear sackcloth. And the end of chapter 3, it has where it says that God repented of the evil that he wanted to do unto Nineveh. Now, in most cases, when you hear something like that, when you hear about revival, when you hear about repentance, you would think that that's the time that the people of God would be happy and excited for what was going on in someone else's life. But when we get to verse 1 of chapter 4, instead of the preacher being happy and excited that the word that he gave fell on good ground, we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, it begins that Jonah was exceedingly angry and displeased. And I want to tell you today that, that sometimes even though we have a tendency to come to church and, and, we, and we look good and we shake each other's hands and we, and we smile and we hug at one another. But there are some things that happen in life from time to time that if we were really honest with ourselves and with each other, that everything that God does and God allows in our lives, it makes us angry and exceedingly displeased. So what I want to talk to you today about is the disposition of the booth watcher. I want to talk about the dilemma of the booth watcher. And I want to tell you about there's deliverance for the booth watcher. The disposition of the booth watcher. The dilemma of the booth watcher. And uh, there's deliverance for the booth watcher. Well, what's the disposition of the booth watcher? Well, I want to tell you about two guys that run together and they're really good friends and their names are anger and depression. In, in verse 1, it says that instead of being happy for Nineveh's salvation, he was displeased and very angry. And the reason why Jonah was displeased and very angry was because if we told the truth, Jonah did not like Nineveh. In other words, Jonah hated Nineveh. And he had three reasons why he didn't like those Ninevites. Or sometimes how we as church folk do it from time to time, those people. Can I get a witness? He, he didn't like the Ninevites for spiritual reasons. They were Gentiles and he was a Jew. Secondly, he didn't like them for political reasons because Israel, the northern kingdom, and Assyria, which is the country that Nineveh is a part of, 
were bitter enemies and were engaged in battle. But if it wasn't bad enough, if he didn't like them for spiritual reasons, if he didn't like them for political reasons, he also didn't like them for social reasons. Nineveh had a horrific reputation. I looked at one commentary and it said that the Assyrian Empire was known as one of the cruelest, one of the vilest, and one of the most adulterous empires in the world. Now think about that. You had the Greeks, you had the Romans, you had all of these people in the ancient world, and Assyria gets the title of the meanest and the baddest and the most vile out of all of them. So Jonah, if he's honest with himself, he's angry because he doesn't want to see deliverance to Nineveh. He didn't like them. Amen? He, did, he didn't like them. He was angry with them. But I don't want you to forget about anger's best friend, and that is depression. That is depression. And some of you know that my wife is a psychologist, so I had to kind of nudge her the, the other day. I said, honey! I didn't say it like that. I said, I said Dr. Webb. What's a good definition for depression? And the classic Freudian definition for depression is anger turned inwards. Uh, anger turned inwards. Oh, my baby's smart. And then she gave me something that even was a little deeper. It's when you have forced submission paired with sadness against an overwhelming force. It can lead to suicide or be fatal if a person perceives there is no escape from this force, or in other words, it's never going to get better. Well, well, well Randall, I understand that, that, that Jonah was angry with Nineveh. Well, why was he depressed? Well, he was depressed because there was an overwhelming force in the beginning of chapter 4. And this force isn't Nineveh. It is what is expressed in verse 2. The overwhelming force that Jonah can't get around is God's graciousness, his mercy, and his great kindness. Even though Jonah was angry and upset and didn't like Nineveh, he had he had his anger, but he also was depressed because he knew that there was nothing he could really do that would cause God to do what he wanted God to do. And I come to tell you that a lot of times as Christians, if we're honest, we're angry and depressed. We're angry at people that do stuff that we don't like. And sometimes we're depressed because we keep seeing God giving them chance after chance. Oh, y'all not here with me today. I said we have anger and depression. And so it, not only is it over, uh, overwhelming force, but Jonah takes it a step further to where he starts having fatalistic thinking. And if you look there, he says, it is better for me to die than to live. Does that sound like a depressed person to you? I tell you, Jonah, he suffered from anger and depression. And so what does Jonah do? He says, okay, God, you want to do what you want to do? Well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go and make me a booth. 
And this booth, the word in the Hebrew, is a shelter or a tent. He probably made it out of branches or twigs or leaves and dirt and mud. It's just a contraption that allows you to have a place to dwell. Now, some of you are saying, well, this is all well and good, but I don't have a problem with Nineveh, and I haven't made any booze. Well, we don't make booze out of branches. We make figurative booze. And I want to give you three examples of some of the booze that we, type, that we tend to make when anger and depression kicks in the life of a Christian. We tend to make booze when politics don't go our way. We tend to make booze when things in our marriage doesn't go our way. And sometimes we'll even make booze when things in the local church doesn't go our way. I'm going to say it again. We make booze when politics don't go our way. We make booze when our marriages don't go our way. And we even sometimes in our local church make booze when we don't think that things have gone our way. Are you still with me here? So the disposition of a booth watcher is that he's motivated by anger and that anger turned inwards is manifested by not being able to get satisfaction from God. Are you with me here? So we've got, number one, the disposition of the booth watcher. Secondly, there is the dilemma of the booth watcher. Somebody say dilemma. dilemma. So Jonah just doesn't make a booth anywhere. If you look at verse 5, there's some very specific things that you see that he does. First of all, it says in verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city. He left where he was preaching. And he went to the east part of the city, or in other words, he went to the edge. He went to the edge. Secondly, he went to the edge to sit down in the shade. And then thirdly, he went there so that he might see what might become of the city. Let me say it this way. Jonah shut down so he could sit down so he could see Nineveh fall down. Uh, let me say that one more time. I said Jonah shut down so he could sit down so he could Nineveh, see Nineveh get beat down. He shut down to sit down to see Nineveh get broke down. Are you with me here? Well, what do you mean by, what do you mean by shut down? Well, Jonah was in Nineveh already. He really had no reason to go anywhere else. He was already in the city. But it says that he went to the east part of the city. Or in other words, Jonah was in Nineveh, but he really didn't want to be in Nineveh. Are you with me here? He was in Nineveh, but he wanted to get as far on the edge of the city 
as he possibly could because he wanted to shut down. And he wanted to shut down so that he could sit down. He didn't want to preach anymore. He didn't want to teach anymore. He wanted to sit down. And by sitting down, what he wanted to do was he wanted to have a place where he could view what was going on in the city without being personally attached to it. And finally, he wanted to see what would become of the city because Jonah was still holding out hope that maybe God might change his mind. He was still holding out hope that maybe, just maybe, God might exact the vengeance on them that I want. And so for us today, you know, as I mentioned, those other types of booths that we build, because our booths are Nineveh when we have our political booths and the person that you voted for didn't get elected this year. Oh, yeah. Or the person that you voted for eight years ago didn't get elected. Do you shut down? Do you sit down? And do you want to see a breakdown? Or in other words, sometimes when things in the political arena don't go the way that we think they ought to go, we take our bat and our ball and we want to call it a day. In other words, we have a preconceived notion and we don't believe that justice was served. But then we get mad at God because he allowed it to happen. I wish you were with me here today. Politically, some of us that were so happy before the election, now we're walking around like we're sucking on a lemon. And eight years ago, those that were happy before that election for eight years have been walking around. So y'all, y'all not with me here. Y'all not with me here. So we shut down to sit down to see a breakdown. And see, here's the thing. See, Jonah, when, you, when you're in your booth, you're caught between two. Because there's one part of Jonah that's telling him, you can't make God undo what he wants to do. But then there's his flesh that's telling him, well, I just want to hang around and see that maybe it might happen. So you know what it's like? It's like watching a movie on a DVD or a Blu-ray player and you find one scene and you put it on repeat. And you sit down and you watch it over and over and over and over and over again. You can't see how the plot's being furthered. You can't even get to the happy ending if there is one. All that you can see is what's right there in front of you, right here, right now, today. So he shut down to sit down to see a breakdown. But what about in our marriages? What about in our marriages? In our marriages, we shut down. We withdraw emotionally and physically. We become roommates. Oh, it's quiet in here, man. Am I, am I, am I, am I speaking Greek and Hebrew? We sit down. 
We stop praying for each other. We stop worshiping together. We wait for the other spouse to own up to what they did to vindicate the way that I feel. Oh, yeah. And we, and we also, we wait to see a beat down or a breakdown. There we start saying stuff like, they'll never change. We'll say, this will never get better. Or worse, we start making our exit strategies with secret meetings with lawyers and other folk. That in, oh, yeah, and we make our little contingency plans. And this is what happens when you're in a marital booth. Well, there's also the booth of the local church. And sometimes even in the history of our church at Strong Tower, we've just gone through a very sensitive period. And I'm not here to try to get into what was right and what was wrong. But what God wants to do and what I am here to do is to let you know that God sees and understands the anger or the joy of where you are. And don't fall into the trap because of your anger and your depression that you turn it inwards and that you shut down, you sit down, and you have a negative view or expectation. In other words, when you, when you shut down, you do like Jonah and you go on the edge. I'm still a member, but I'm kind of just hanging around. Oh, you're not going to hang with me. When we sit down, our involvement in activities, it begins to drop and we become jaded and sarcastic. And we start asking all of these questions because we feel that what has transpired shouldn't get away. It should be dealt with and something should happen. So we start asking these questions. Then a lot of times you got to be careful about people that ask questions all the time because not all questions are really looking for answers. Some questions are a trap to try to get you to agree with the way that I feel. And if you're hanging around in a booth and watching that same DVD over and over again, your questions become bitter and we become hard to deal with. Can I, can, I, can I really go there? Because see, I'm not an elder. I'm not a leader here. I'm a member just like you. So I can talk like we talk. Is that all right? People start asking, are you staying? Are you leaving? Is Pastor Chris okay? Oh, yeah. Can we stay in this building? What, how are we going to replace the staff? And if you're not careful, those questions that sound legitimate, when you really look at the emotion behind them, we're really, what we're really saying, it shouldn't work. Oh, I, you know what? See, see I'm, I'm going to tell the truth. 
I'm going to tell the truth because, because we have people here right now. You're struggling trying to hang on to church. And God sent me here to tell you that even though he understands that you can't understand and see what he sees, he knows that we're angry. He knows that some of us are upset. But what God wants you to know, like Jonah, even though I sent you and you did a deed and you're not doing exactly what I want you to do, I still see you, I still love you, and I've got a purpose and a plan for you. So the dilemma of the booth watcher is they shut down to sit down to see a beat down. <laughs> I said they shut down to sit down to see a beat down. Well, let me try to hurry up here. There is finally deliverance for the booth watcher. There is deliverance for the booth watcher. And it takes place in two critical steps. Step one is we have to answer the question that God poses to Jonah and the question that God poses to Jonah and he poses it twice he says doest thou well to be angry now many interpretations take that to say God is saying Jonah you have no business to be angry but I want to look I want to look at it through a different lens and say God is asking Jonah how are you doing hanging on to that anger well, if we, if we look at the narrative, Jonah is really not doing that well. <laughs> you look at his physical condition, Jonah is not doing well to be angry. If you look at him in chapter 4, while he's out there in his booth, he's isolated, he's alone, he's sitting down in the heat. And he's become a diva queen. And what I mean by that is he keeps talking about, Lord, I wish I was dead. And I want to tell you here today that whether it has to do with politics or in your marriage or even stuff in the local church, hanging on to anger and depression all it does is it makes you isolated. It makes you sit down and burn up in the heat. And it makes you overly sensitive and critical about everything. And what God is asking Jonah and he's asking you and me. How are you doing with your anger? And if we look at our physical circumstance, the joy that I used to have coming down Granny White Pike because of what's happening politically, because of what's happening in my marriage, and maybe even because of what's happening in my local house. I'm overly critical about everything. No grace, no vision, no hope, no joy. It's bad now and it's going to stay bad. But we got to be honest when God asks us the question, how are you doing? How you doing, Mr. Jonah? How you doing with your anger? Secondly, not only is Jonah not doing well 
physically. He's not doing well spiritually. When you look at Jonah in chapter 1, he demonstrated faith when he told the sailors, throw me overboard. But he still had hate for Nineveh. He was in the belly of the fish. And I bet you he prayed a really good prayer. But he still had hate for Nineveh. And in chapter 3, I can only imagine he might have even preached better than I am right now. Because souls got saved. But he still had hate for Nineveh. You become a hypocrite when you get involved in religious activities. But there's still hate in your heart. There's two things that are consistent throughout the book of Jonah. Jonah's hate for Nineveh. But God's grace and compassion for Nineveh. And not only Nineveh, but for Jonah himself. You got to ask yourself, you got to answer God's question. Do is thou well to be angry? How is that anger working for you? How is it working for you? Secondly, we have to change our view. We have to change our view. It says that God caused a vine to grow. You all have read it. Caused a vine to grow and it blocked Jonah from the shade. And this drama overly sensitive prophet got happy all of a sudden. And then God said, well, let me send a little worm and destroy this plant. And then he sent a wind from the east so that the sun beat down on his head. And Jonah goes back to being angry. But God asked him the question again, doest thou well to be angry? He says, for the plant. Three things I want to leave you with here. God confronts Jonah because he was more concerned about his own physical well-being, shade in the sun, than the spiritual welfare of an entire city. Secondly, he highlighted that Jonah had become more concerned about an inanimate, I shouldn't say inanimate, but a plant that has no soul, no salvation, than people in the city. And thirdly, what God does is that he tells Jonah, your view needs to change. You need to go from a macro view to a micro view. A macro view is when you take things that are small and you make them large and disconnected. A micro view is when you zoom in on the things that are small and pay attention to them. In other words, Jonah hated Nineveh because he saw that city as one big group. And what God says to Jonah, there's 120,000 souls that you don't know, that you've never met, 
that you never experienced that have turned their lives over to me. And what I want to leave you here with, Strong Tower, is that the real way that we get deliverance from being in the booth is that we have to change our macro view to a micro view. It's not about Republicans versus Democrats. That's the macro view. It's about coming up with laws in the land that's going to benefit individual people. It's not about husbands and wives fighting with each other. It's about a man understanding that the woman that he was given is a divinely created instrument to bring about blessing and empowerment in his life. And even with Strong Tower, I know that we talk about that we're one but not the same. But sometimes we get into a little bit of a rut where we compartmentalize and group each other. You got the Franklin folk over here. You got the Nashville folk over there. You got the Antioch folk over here. And you got the Hendersonville folk over there. You got the black people over here. And you got the white people over there. And I ain't forgot about you. We got our First Nation people up front. And we got our Hispanics over there. We got the Republicans on this side, Democrats on that side, upper class over here, middle class right there, lower class over here. And what God is trying to say to you is that if you want to be able to come out of your booth, it's got to go from a macro view to a micro view. When you come in the strong tower, it can't be about groups and organizations it's got to be about individual people you ought to look to your left and look to your right you're not looking at a statistic you're looking at an individual person and all God is trying to say is that if we're going to be politically the way God will have us to be if we're going to be in our marriages the way God will have us to be if we're going to be in the church house the way God would have us to be we got to quit looking at big groups and big organisms and repeating what the masses say have you met everybody that you come into contact with do you know their name do you know their story do you know their background do you know their history have you prayed together have you walked together have you talked together it's gotta be about individual relationships well I'm headed to my seat right now but I would be amiss if I didn't tell you about one more booth watcher but this booth watcher he didn't make his booth out of branches this booth watcher his booth is in heaven and he was wrapped in glory majesty and power he looked out over the world and saw that the world had turned his back on him and he got angry but I'm so glad for John 316 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son wait a minute that's a mess 
worldview. For God so loved people that he gave his only begotten son. I want to dig a little deeper even than that. For God so loved you and me that he gave his only begotten son. And when Jesus came down, it says the word became flesh. He left his booth in heaven and he came down and he dealt with people. He walked with people. He talked with people. He preached to people and he died. I said he died. I said he died for people. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in heaven and in earth in his hand that whosoever believeth on him will have the power to become the children of God. I'm going to leave you with this. We need each other. We got to help each other. We got to love each other. I'm reminded of a song that says, I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is his will that every need would be supplied. You are important to me. I need you. Thank you, Lord. I need you. I need you to survive. God bless you.